Well, it is Friday. Welcome to the Friday edition of Let's Open the Bible. It's Gavin, it's Russ, your favorite podcasters coming to you today. Hello, Gavin. Aloha. Means goodbye. <laughs> and also hello. <laughs> you don't know if I'm coming or going. Uh, neither do you. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Listener, today we're going to uh, still be in Titus, <laughs> Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses three through five. Is there something funny about yeah, that? Yeah, I just love, I, what I love about you is how I rattle you when I'm just saying like. Just nonsense. Just nonsense. Yeah. Well, and you rattle me a lot. Then. Yes, a lot. I say a lot of nonsense. You do. You are full of it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I was excited about that. Okay. <laughs> you embraced it with both arms. <laughs> nonsense. That's my street name. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right. I'm well, not Gavin. fitty. I'm non- <laughs> anyway, uh, Gavin, if you would like to I would. lead us in prayer, right. I will be happy to read these verses for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that we feel the, the weight of the responsibility, uh, especially as we mature in the faith, to be the, the things that your word calls us to be. Not because we have to be, but because we get to be in Christ. We want to be. We want maturity to be an overflow of our walk with Christ. And Heavenly Father, as we feel the weight of that and the obligation, that the joyful um, Christ-afforded obligation that we have to pass that on to others, I pray that we would look for opportunities, that the older men would teach the younger men how to be men, godly men, and the older women would, would learn and, and embrace the opportunity they have to teach the younger women how to be godly women. And God, when, when uh, that happens... We, as a church, will be knit together and building ourselves up in love by the power of your spirit and your word. Thank you for that opportunity. Would you work that in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, again, that's Titus chapter 2, and we're beginning in verse 3. It says there, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Just an observation. Something interesting that uh, jumps out uh, here is, as we were talking about coming out of verse 16 in chapter 1, we would want Paul to tell the men to be teachers, and he doesn't. He said, speak the things. No, I thought I thought we went with it. so I don't mind the teacher part. I mean that's good. It's just it's it seems to be a little more life speaking truth into your life. But yeah, go but, ahead. But here uh, he's talking about them being teachers. The sure. Women. So I thought that was interesting. Just that an is observation. A, yeah, that is very interesting. But but the contrast that I was saying is not necessarily that would they be speakers or teachers because I I think. I think the one communicates just daily speaking truth into the lives of people and teaching is, you know, seems to maybe be a little more formal. But the contrast that I was emphasizing before was these are people that say they love God, but they deny him by their works. So my response would be, okay, we need to do good things. And that's not the response that Paul's call, calling Titus to do here now. He's saying, speak the truth into the lives of, of, of the congregation, of the people around you. Even maybe, and we alluded to this before, maybe even those that are rejecting God. How do you, how do you treat those that are rejecting God? Speak truth. Speak right. truth. Yeah. Yeah. Enlighten the eyes of them by the power of the word of God. But then to the to the women, yeah. uh, he calls them to teach. Yeah. So teach yeah. other women. It's, yeah. Uh, 
call a didaskalos. Okay. Teach what is good. Yeah. All right. Well, where do you want to start? Well, we can start with the older women. Okay. So I would, uh, one would say that that's probably in line with the uh, older men. Again, uh, according to Lagos, it places that age uh, at you know somewhere around fifty or sixty. We might not hold those uh, exactly uh, the same, but uh, yeah, same same age range. Yeah, and it likewise is in there, right? The hosatas, yeah. The the likewise, yeah. The likewise women, just as the men are to be these things and then to teach them to others, women are called to be models and then to teach. Yeah. Okay. And again, that speaks to maturity. Right. Life experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I keep saying right a lot. You're on point, I guess. Or right. maybe we're both off point together. Yeah. Okay. Careful. All right. So um, so the older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um Reverence seems to be something that we speak of fondly that used to uh, used to be uh, experienced in church that maybe isn't as experienced today, but yet people sometimes have a hard time defining reverence. Right. No, again, culture informs some things, and so that's a problem. How, how do you contextualize, which we work through? If you want the, the best that I can give, and it may not be great, but the best that I can offer on how to contextualize and honor God, honoring God, glorifying God is the, is the key thing that I, that I hope to do in any service and any talk that I have, honoring, glorifying God, and then also to minister to the people around us. Every single person contextualizes that I know of. Do you know of anybody that preaches in Greek and Hebrew? Do you know of anybody that preaches in, in the old-fashioned robes? So you have some formal robes. But, but so you go, okay, but those aren't appropriate today anymore. Why not? If we say no contextualization at all, no, we do not worry about culture. We simply worry about what Christ has given. The regulative principle regulates everything to the point of no, and, and again, this is not what I believe, and most people that hold to the regulative principle don't see these things either. But if you say no contextualization, you speak in Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and in a, a robe that would be fitting of, of Jesus, would be befitting of Jesus. So how would you define reverence? Okay, so so nowadays, um, uh, first of all, it needs to be shaped by a, a reverence for God Himself. So it should be orderly, it should be uh, loving. So so I think reverence is a display of the attributes of God. Does does that make sense? It does. Okay. Now, again, it's going to be a little nuanced based on the culture you're in. So so reverence in one culture may be slightly different than another because you know, displaying a love for God and for man, which are the two great commandments in one culture, may be a little different. You maybe in one culture, you shake hands and another culture you hug or in another culture, you greet one another with a brotherly kiss, you know, where I think if you would go up to your church today and you would greet a guy with a kiss, I don't know that that would be reverent. Would you? I mean, no. Okay. So it would be, it would be off putting rather than reverent. It would probably break up the service. It would cause a lot of commotion and confusion. And maybe some people say, nope, we always greet people with a kiss. In other cultures, you know, guys, uh, heterosexual men can walk down the street holding hands, and that's okay. In some, so, so there is a little cultural context, but in all these things, you're trying to communicate to the people around you the attributes of God. 
Yes. Again, so reverence in a church should be orderly. There's There should be no such thing as chaos in a church and going, we're reverent. So there are some times that I actually want to hold people, say they're irreverent when people are running around and throwing jackets at the pulpit. And, you know, I've, there's a, there, I don't know if you've seen a clip of God just, woo, and he's swinging the jacket around and he lets it go and it goes up and covers the minister, you know, and he's, you know, hooping and hollering. One guy runs up and he grabs a hold of the edge of the baptismal and he's in a state of ecstasy and he's hopping around and he forgets to to let go of the Baptist, the, the baptismal pool, the, the rail on it, and he jumps high, but he doesn't let go. So he throws himself accidentally into the baptistry, into into the water. So he and then he hops up and he's slots, you know, just he's out of control. He, yeah, it's chaos, and you don't find that. I, mean, I, I find that very irreverent. And yeah. someone go, no, they're filled with the Spirit. Well, you get from First Corinthians fourteen, people filled with the Spirit still have order in their church. Yeah, that sounds like okay. he's filled with anything goes. Yeah, well, it's it's ecstasy, and and you see that in other religions. So when you go, no, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The problem is you see that in some other religions. You know, so so there are some there, there are some. There, uh, videos out there of people in the Kundalini cult just, you know, that, that, that practice those types of things. And they're shaking like people now that say, oh, I'm filled with the spirit. Well, how do you know? You have to take those thoughts captive uh, according to scripture. Okay. So these older reverent. women are to be reverent. Very much in an effort to reflect the attributes of God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that is in their behavior. Okay. Not uh, slanderers. And... And so you have these, um, uh, what does it say? In, in the KJV, it says, behavior as becometh holiness, right? Yeah, that clears it up. Yeah. Um, so, eros, uh, hieros, uh, hieros is, is the word there for holy. So you, you are to, again, again, what we just mentioned, that you're, you're to reflect what is sacred and holy, um, in your worship. And then we go on to, um, so likewise, reverent in behavior and not slanderers, false accusers in the KJV. Yeah, just going back, I was just looking at the uh, Amplified because, you know, it, it takes a, a three-word verse and makes it 25 words. Uh, the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service. Yeah. yeah well, so I, I love this one. Uh, Diablos, <laughs> the slanderers. Yeah, the yeah. slanderers. Yeah. Well, well, you know, they're you're not to be a traducer. You're not to be like Satan himself. Uh, yeah. So that's never good when you're uh, doing the work of Satan. When you're actually uh, being used, the same word is used for you as it is for for the devil. Okay. So so maybe maybe per, these are some things that are particular to women. And I, not that men don't, you know, go behind people's back and gossip and say false things, but but this is specifically addressing the older women are not to be these things and to pass them on, right? To teach the younger women how to do these things. So, uh, what is one of the best ways that you've ever gotten to have false accusations of uh, like gossip going around the church? Have you found a way to? Have you heard of anything that you liked and you're like, well, that might work? To put gossip away. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you one that I've heard before. Well, let's hear what you have to say. So somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Russ, guess what I heard about Gavin? And you go, oh, let's call him right now. I'm like, whoa. That's good. And and the way that so, – so here's the thing that's interesting to me. In Scripture, you have people calling out people publicly and written down in the inspired word of God. 
So like Alexander the coppersmith, never going to be a well-liked guy, right? He's written in the word of God to watch out for. Paul, Paul's like warning people about him, right? So gossip can't just be saying a negative thing. So, so I also have a way that you say, okay, um, when am I allowed to talk about somebody? In a way that warns, like if, if I met Alexander the coppersmith, when am I allowed to tell people, watch out for Russ Fox? When am I allowed to say, you know, to call by name these people? And I want to say, listen, when, when it becomes um, uh, helpful to somebody, like gossip most often is not actionable. Hey, guess what? I saw Gavin drinking at the bar the other the other day. Okay, what am I going to do about it? If, if it's nothing, then I don't need to pass that on. So one of the ways that I know that maybe it's it's allowable, not always, but is if it's actionable. Like, are we going to take steps in this? Two, does it fall into the biblical parameters of how church discipline or, or walking down, if somebody has a charge against his brother, what does that look like? You know, so, so I want to hold all these together, but what happens most often is just banter back and forth. Well, guess what he said? Well, guess what she said? Well, what, what did she say? And that's something that needs to be stopped immediately in a church. Does that make sense? It does, but okay. here the word is really talking about attacking the reputation of another person. Right, false accuser, yeah. That's not necessarily the same as gossip. Not necessarily, absolutely not. But but it does have some of those components, a false accuser, yes. someone spreading sl- slander and lies about people. It's the traducer, the slanderer, yeah. Which we would want to nip in the bud either, the slander or gossip, mm-hmm. you know, both. Not just you know, not just saying not well, being that, a busybody, but yeah. yeah, not not just saying well that was true, so that's okay. No, right? It's it's still not okay. Right, amen. The, and it comes this one particularly comes from the father of lies, right? So right, and so we know that he is a disunifier. That that is a big aspect of his um, work is to create division, division between us and the Lord, division between one another. That's what the liar does. And uh, he sows discord among among people. Yeah. When people are slanderers, that's what they're doing. They're creating discord, disharmony, disunity, all of those things. And these things have actually uh, led to um, church splits. Yeah. One of the interesting things to me is that I, I find it, it, I don't know many people really committed to the truth, right? So so we're committed to what we want. We're committed to ourselves, but you know, like one of the things that the 2020 election taught me is if something comes out about some, you know, it doesn't matter Trump or Biden. I'm not, I'm not even going to make a political point here, but if you're a, a Biden guy and something comes out about him, you're like, well, that's false news. It's fake news. Right. And, and that's, that's, you know, the spreading of lies to ruin his reputation. It's Russian, Russian disinformation. Something bad comes out about Trump. And you're a Trump guy. You're like fake news. You know that that's just the liberal media. And instead of saying, "Okay, I, I want to really get to the truth," you, you tend to defend your people, your group, your 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 tribe. Right. I mean, how many people want to hear truth about themselves? I mean, somebody came up and just said, "Yeah, your sermon stunk." You'd want it to be well. Could you say it a little kinder? <laughs> yeah, can we, you soften that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. The truth. The truth is not something many people seek desperately. So, uh, I don't know. There's there's a sense at which you have to say to women and men both, like, let's be about the truth. So let me ask you a question, then, sure. truth seeker. Yeah. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that Julie puts on some jeans and she turns around, and looks at you, and she says, "Tell me, 
Do these jeans make me look big? Can I go to Iraq first? <laughs> I said that intentionally to be vague because I. <laughs> so, so <laughs> can I go to Iraq before I answer that question? Um, no. So, so I was I was in. Uh, 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 well, now it's too late. But but I was over there on a trip, and and somebody said, "What do you think about my wife's cooking?" Well, how do you answer that one? And I said it was good, but but let me ask you this: value laden word. It, it it was it was enjoyable, right? So value, I love that. It just every time it's, uh, but it was it was very good. I enjoyed it immensely. But I looked at him and said, "Do is do you what do you say about your wife's cooking?" I say it's good. Well, would you tell her if if it was bad? And he goes, "No," and and he goes, "I wouldn't tell her it was bad." And then I said, well, what do you do when it was bad? And he paused and said, well, it's always good. You know, like save. He's safe, right. safe. But here's the thing. You lose credibility when you're unable to say the truth. So if my wife comes and says, how do these pants look? I have made an effort to be sweet and kind, but I am not, I, I am not a uh, utilitarian ethicist, which says that you do the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And trust me, to tell your wife she looks great in those pants when she doesn't is the greatest good for the greatest. I'm not that. I, I would say I, they're not my favorite or something kinder or something right. even more direct. Maybe but not I your best look. Not your best look or, you know, I, I'm not going to lie to my wife. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a non-conflicting absolutist. I, I, I just don't believe that there's that dilemma there. There is kindness that's always required, but we are to speak the truth in love. All right. Moving on. Uh, so we're not to be slanderers. These women are not to be slanderers. Not, not given to much wine. Why not? Um dedulomenos right it's it's it comes from the word doulos it's a slave to much wine mm. so you know I, i'm gonna rock a lot of people's world here i i do believe jesus drank oinase wine what was that i didn't hear you <laughs> what did it say Dulo. Do dulo, but it comes from the, the, the root of doulos right right so dedulomenos yeah. which is the word actually used in the text right so, so Sorry, um, I didn't mean to throw you there. Yeah, that that was funny. Um, <laughs> all right, I like that though. To enslave to cause to be a slave. I mean, that's a good explanation of right. what, what yeah. he's saying here. I, I I think I think you can drink on, uh, oines wine, Greek wine. I, I just uh, it should never control you, and you right. should never be drunk. Right. And the problem with with drinking, and I will not ever say don't drink because then I would be faced with pulling Jesus aside and saying don't do it. And I've heard the arguments. It's a less l less intense wine. It's not wine itself. It's grape juice. I've heard all the arguments, and they're just not compelling to me. But let me be clear. Again, drunkenness is sin in any way, shape, or form. Drunkenness is sin, and. Um, being a slave to wine, letting it control you, anything to control you besides the love of Christ is sin. You, you, whatever that is. I mean, that's why we fight against lust, greed, pride, anger, those things that control you. Um, in fact, if you're, if you're angry enough, you can't be, or given to wine or those things, you can't be a deacon, an elder. Right. Right. And, and, and like, listen, it's warning the women, don't be enslaved to wine. Um, if you feel compelled, if you have to, like get in the fight, battle against sin, be accountable. If you're listening today and it, and you are a slave to wine, it controls you more than the word of God controls you. If, if it's just, if you are enslaved to it, period, start seeking help. I, I love this. Stop saying you're going to fix it by yourself. How many years have you been trying to fix it by yourself? Do whatever it takes. Get in the fight. 
battle against it. Put it to death. Be a stone cold killer. I think one of the things that rocks people's world in, in First Samuel fifteen, which which by the way we're in now, so it's you know when when Saul is told by God to kill every man, woman, child, and infant, suckling someone. I mean, can you imagine that scene? Mm. How horrific it would be. We're to be twice that when it comes to our own sin. When it says put to death the deeds of the body. If you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are to be stone-cold mortifiers, murderers of our sin. That's good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Where are we now? Uh, well, we're, we were going to talk about uh, teachers here, but of good things. Here's your favorite word. What are the good things? The God things. Yeah. Good, in my mind, is always related to God. That which is opposed to false or evil. Yeah, I mean that's not very helpful itself. So so until until you find your anchor in the I am, until your yeah. truth finds its anchor in the I am, your ethic finds its anchor in the I am, uh in, in he is like I love that. I am that I am. He is the anchor. When when Pilate says what is truth, Jesus you know doesn't answer him like this, but but Jesus is the truth. Yeah. I am the truth is what he's I am the way, the truth and life. He is true. Like God be true and every man a liar. So you want good, it's God. You, what does that mean? Well, well, it means being patient. You know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So when you say, how many times should I forgive my brother? Over and over and over and over and over. 70 times 7, 7 times 77, whatever, right? So over and over, 7. Ad infinitum. Yeah, ad infinitum, right, right. You say potatoes, I say tomatoes. <laughs> That's good. All right. So next, we're not we're not making it very far. Um, so I, I love here that that Paul is instructing them to teach, uh, admonish, encourage, to advise uh, these young women. They're they're to use the wisdom, the things that they've learned, their godliness, their reverence for God, to instruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the young now, women. Now, okay, so I, this is one of my favorite th- things. So I know you could say it just as easily and better than I could, uh, but I, but I, I, this is one of my favorite thoughts that I've had. Um, who's your favorite? Te- Garth Brooks is your favorite theologian. All right, not Karl Bart, but Garth Brooks. So uh, twenty years ago, Garth Brooks had this call-in show from Texas Stadium. Back when that's where the Cowboys played, right? That was Texas Stadium, I think it was. Yes. Okay. So, and and he had this woman call in and say, "Hey, uh, you've had a few kids, and I'm a newly expecting mom. What do I need to know?" And he said that they don't need instructions. It, it, when they're born, immediately you love them and you know how to, how, you know, something like that. And I'm paraphrasing, but along those lines, right? Just you just love them. Okay, so that's Garth Brooks, your favorite theologian. But I'd rather stick with Scripture. And so, what does Scripture say to the the older women? They're to teach the younger women. And I love this in, in verse four. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Yeah. It's not intuitive. It's like, I, I love when Jesus, when the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? He doesn't say, oh, just figure it out. He says it should be something like this. There are some elements. It's You don't have to just pray what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer the same way every single time. I mean, you, but there should be some component. There's a similarity. This is how you, you should be praying. There should be some similarities. So, so when, when, how do I love my kids? Go to an older woman and, and it's interesting. She starts with loving your husband. I I know as perfect as you are, Russ, you would think, well, it's natural for, for Christy to love me or, you know, Julie to love me. That's, 
Okay, that's not natural. It is not natural for us, uh, for, for women apparently, to love their husbands at, in, in a godly way. And so what we need to do is the older women are to s- teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands in a godly way and, uh, and then love their children in a godly way. I think that's something we've lost. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things as you were talking is I was thinking about how many, uh, how, how often we see older women that, that are not good examples. Yeah. So, um, I went on a missions trip uh, to Moldova several years ago and, and met this woman. I, I don't know that she'll ever listen to this podcast, but I think the world of her, she's just a, a great woman, right? Sweet's not what she reminds me of. She's a little feisty and great lover, godly, amazing. And she, she would go around uh, to various churches and just have, you know, have talks on women. Okay. Let's talk about the difficult things in interacting with your husband. Um, what are some of the struggles that you have and how can we as, as godly women love our husbands better? Who does that? I mean, you know, can you imagine someone coming and saying, listen, women, it's not intuitive how, how to love your husbands. And sometimes it's not intuitive how to, to love your children. They can quickly become idols. Do you know any women whose children are their idols? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. So I, I ask this, I've asked this a lot. How many, how many people in this congregation today know what some of their idols are? And almost every hand goes up. We, we, we at least can identify some of them. Right. We have those Fabrica Mytalarum, as you know, Calvin calls, the, the, the heart is an idol factory. And so we all have idols. Our hearts just kind of perpetually make idols, and we need to be aware of them. Some we are, some we aren't. But most people know their biggest idols. And for men, it's often work, their wife, money. A lot of the, you know, those are idle sports sometimes, you know, where you just sports takes over your worship, you're skipping church for, to watch a football game or something like that. But it's those things. A lot of times it's work yeah, or wife. And then you go, okay, women, what's your idol? And you know what most often it is? Children. Well, how does an older woman come in and say, okay, let's, let's, let's train you on how to love your kids well. And then let me ask you this. How many younger women would say, teach me? Yeah, that's. Few and far between, I would think. Very few and far between. And, and I think that gets back to what you said earlier that, that we're we're not really seeking truth. Amen, amen. Well, so, and so and so, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we think that God is not for us; He's against us, and He's withholding the thing that'll make us happy, rather than He's giving us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has given us with His His Son. He has given us His Son, and with Him also freely given us all things. But we don't believe it, right? And so, when somebody comes and speaks truth into our lives, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, we reject it. We resist it. And so when somebody comes in and says, you know, hey, the Bible offers this as a, as a loving way to raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, a lot of times men and women alike go, stop telling me how to raise my kids, as opposed to if it's in the Bible, I want to learn how, how can I implement this in my life? How does that good, as we said before, how does that good theology lead to, to praxology? How does a good how does a good doctrine, orthodoxy, lead to orthopraxy? Right doctrine leads to right practice. How, how does that happen? Yeah. All right. Are we Good going? Teaching. So we got verse five. Okay. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I love the way it ends, but I, I know we're not there yet. Okay. To be self-controlled. We talked about that before. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to give you something jarring. And I understand this is jarring. I understand this is jarring. Okay. But I know somebody that went into a, a workplace and said, okay, um, th- 
your performance. This is merit-based pay. Okay, mm-hmm. so you do your job, you, you get paid well. You don't do your job, you get paid less. I think all of them made decent money. Now, now listen to this. I, I know you're doing some word study, but pay attention to this because I want your honest reaction. So part of that was, women, if you're crying, you're gonna that's gonna come off of your pay. And I want that. I mean, I hope people are. Oh, how, how dare you? Right? Diminish the pay because they cried. Because or they, if they cried. And so the women started out absolutely outraged in this company. I'm not speaking for you. I'm not speaking for all women. I'm not making a universal story. This is not biblical. You can react against me and this example. But they they were outraged. How dare you? I mean, these are honest emotions. But over time, when that stopped, they realized in this case, in this particular case, they weren't getting what they wanted like they had when they were crying. Because the men in this particular agency did not know how to handle them, so they appeased them. Hmm. Now, all of that to say, regardless of what you think about that illustration, what does it look like when women are teaching other women how to be self-controlled? It's not easy. That's, can you imagine an older woman looking at a young woman saying, that is not becoming of a Christian? You don't get to raise your voice in a restaurant like that. You don't get to have meltdowns like that. And by the way, just so we're, this is clear, and I'm not making excuses for what the Bible says. I'm not trying to cover it. It's, it's bold. But men need to teach men how to be self-controlled. We're going to get there maybe another day. But men need to teach men how to be self-controlled. And we, we err all the time. And us men need to come alongside, the older men need to come alongside the younger men and say, hey, you need to cut that junk out. Yeah. You need to be self-controlled. Okay? Be a man. Be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, what is it? be strong like a man, First uh, Corinthians 16, I think. Anyways, um, but uh, to be self-controlled. Can you imagine? That's a work in and of itself. Next, to be pure, to be chaste. Mm-hmm. We are in, I, I, I don't even know that we should go down this path, but I'm not that smart. Birth control, right? The sexual revolution does not happen the way it is now without birth control. And abortion, people are talking about, listen, the reason we want abortion is so that we can sleep, some people, some people, that we, that like men who can sleep with whom they want and have no consequences, they can just walk off, which again is against the Bible. The Bible says, you know, that we are not to be bound. We are not to defile the marriage bed. So Why men are you are, yelling at me? I don't know, because it's it's just frustrating how, how everybody wants to do whatever they want to do. And the Bible then just becomes an obstacle to do whatever we want to do. And, and I think that's a Galatians 5, like the spirit. And, 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 and let me say this. When you say, I want to do what I want to do, and God is against me, you're setting a trap for yourself. You will become a slave to something, whether it's a slave to an unwanted child, whether and, and, and I, I don't think there should be any such thing as an unwanted child. You will become a slave to something. You'll be slave to wine. You'll be a slave to drugs. You'll be a slave to success. You'll be a slave to something. God is for you, not against you. All right, so pure. Keep yourself pure. Now, here Paul says that uh, a woman's place is in the home making a sandwich. Not a sandwich, but you got to struggle with this. Home you makers. struggle with it. Go ahead. I, I've said enough offensive things. Yes, you, you really have. Okay. Uh, homemakers. No, no. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I, I thought I you mean, were going to skip it. I'm like, uh-uh, no, sir. Yeah. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? According to Lagos, um, it's talking to... He, it, the definition is talking about being busy at home, carrying out household duties, especially understood as if a trade or a vocation. 
And but you know this is this is that that verse that a lot of, a lot of people get hung up on. That you know a woman's place is in the home, her place is in the kitchen, all these other things. And okay, so yes. so no 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 wiggle anymore. What do you think it means? And I, I don't actually I don't even care. What do you think the holy inspired author Paul was trying to communicate here? Well, I think when you when taken as a whole, uh, I, I think this is part of part of reverence. It's it's part of growing in the faith to have a, a home that is decent and in order. It doesn't mean that she has to do everything in the home. It doesn't mean that she's the one that's dusting, mopping, cleaning, doing the dishes. Uh, but that that you know she's overseeing the household responsibilities, and uh, you know making sure that that things are, are getting done. Either she's doing it, she's delegating it, you know, the children do it, the dad's got his role, whatever it is. Uh, but I don't think it's speaking to a woman's places in the home, in the kitchen, uh, or that she shouldn't work. Okay. So Proverbs 31 kind of presses back against that, but her, but her priority is her home. And I, and, and so, man, but the Proverbs 31 woman works, right? That's what I'm saying. So it's yeah. not like you can only be in the home. I, right. d- I do not believe that at all, but 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 listen, sometimes we say, okay, for the sake of money, for the sake of this, um, for, you know, you can't live in the world today without having two incomes or something like that. And I, I just think that's a bad approach that that a, a wife is to to be a manager of the home so that her husband can be known at the gates. Well, that sounds oppressive, you know, and, and yet it seems that most studies talk about the Christian woman being among the happiest of women. And I'm not saying just at home. I'm not saying she can't work. I'm right. just saying that she has priorities. God wrought priorities. By the way, if a, if a man says, listen, I don't want to be the breadwinner of my house. I, I'm tired of working. I, I, don't, I don't think he has that prerogative. So I, I think we are all called to, we are what God has made us. We don't get to, we don't get to say, you know what? I'm not a man. I know that's popular today. We don't have that prerogative. We are what God made us. And as a man, I am to be the garter and protector of my wife. Yeah. I am to be the provider and server and protector of my wife. I am to wash her with the word and present her blameless. I am to, I am to lead her well. I am to honor her as the weaker vessel. I am to, to love her above my own life and sacrifice her like Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for it. All of those things are true. And then you go, okay, and the woman's priority is she can work. Absolutely. I don't, it's not even, I give you permission. If that's your mentality, I, 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 you may want to check yourself for, for abuse, but I am not going to back down from what the Bible says that, that a woman is to be an, an, a manager, a keeper, a garter of the home. Yeah. Good. All right. Now that we've lost everybody and I don't, I don't apologize. It's the word. I, I love letting the word again, let the word go through your mind and do its work. If you disagree with me, that's fine. But the word you I hope that you say it's inerrant, inspired, and perfect. All right, let's fly through these because we're way over time. Obedient to their husband. Okay. This is, uh, you know, I know I know you like to subjugate people and all that kind of stuff, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. But you okay. may have a different interpretation. Subjugation is, no, we are to be like Christ. We're to love our bride. We're to love our bride and die for her. She is to be more treasured than all the rubies we have. She is more precious than my job. She's more precious than money. She's more precious than anything. My wife is not only my best friend, but my greatest treasure besides God himself. She's definitely uh, one of the best parts of you. Oh, a thousand times. I married up a million times, okay? But I am to lead her. And and again, uh, even in the wedding vows, somebody said, like, if... 
you know, if your wife is willing to follow, you need to be ready to lead. Lead, And I have failed miserably in that. So it's a weight on me, but it is my God-given responsibility to lead my wife. Now, if I say, woman, you missed the point. That's not the point. Like subjugation, not the point. But it is about that a woman should be following her husband. And, and by the way, I love this. When a woman says, follow him, he can't tie his own shoes. Then don't marry him. Right. And, and listen, I, I have failed more times than I can begin to tell you. But one of the things my wife will say is that she married me because she knew in the end I was going to follow God. Now, have I fallen short? Absolutely. Can I boast in that? Not even a little but women, stop marrying men that you don't trust to lead you. By the way, if, if I'll give you another one with a job. We're, we take jobs and we say, well, I'm not listening to my boss. Stop taking jobs with bosses that will ask you to do ungodly things. Like don't be unevenly yoked with the world. I mean, so, all right. I don't know why I'm feisty today. I don't know. You're like angry. I know. Tell me that, to cut that junk out. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Live a life like you trust God's word. It brings him much honor. And by bearing fruit, you will bring him honor. Live like the word is, is perfect. Live like the word is sufficient. Live like the word has authority in your life because it does. And God, God's word and God himself won't be reviled. Amen. Well, we've gone a little long, listener, uh, but I hope that you have enjoyed this. It's been uh, fruitful and productive for you. Uh, as I always do on Fridays, I encourage you to be in God's house, sitting under the authority of God's word, uh, being rightly divided by one of God's men that he has called and separated and set apart for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Be there uh, to sing your praises to God, to lift your prayers to God, and to be shaped and molded by the word of God. Until we see you on Monday. Do that and open your Bible and wrestle with it. God bless. Have a good weekend.